Michigan Family Forum that has been located in Lansing, Michigan, once published a British study on the results of child abuse. And let me share with you this study and what they discovered. The study, Broken Homes and Battered Children, a study of the relationship between child abuse and family type, finds that the safest home environment for a child is when his biological parents are married. The least safe environment for a child, the study concludes, is living with a single mother who is cohabiting with a man other than her husband. Patrick Fagan of the Washington-based Heritage Foundation, in reporting on the study, said that the risk of child abuse is 20 times higher than in traditional married families if parents are cohabiting, as in common law marriages, and 33 times higher if the single mother is cohabiting with a boyfriend. The study also found that the risk of child abuse is 14 times higher where a child grows up in a home where the biological mother lives alone. Now, as I read those statistics from that study, it just reminded me that God knew what he was doing when he created marriage and the family. The very few first human institution that God ever created is marriage, and it is the bedrock of the family. And the second institution that God created coming out of marriage is the family, and it is the bedrock of all society. And since God planned and created marriage and the family, he knows what he is doing. And any attempts to improve on God's plan or to disregard God's plan will only lead to ruinous harm. That's why when the Pharisees in Mark chapter 10 came to Jesus with a question about divorce, trying to trap him, that Jesus took them back to God's plan for marriage. Now, uh, we have, over the last two Sundays, skipped ahead in our series in Mark. Uh, for Palm Sunday, we skipped ahead to Mark 11 and went through the events of Palm Sunday. And then for Easter, we skipped ahead to the last part of Mark 10, where we looked at the wonderful healing of blind Bartimaeus. But now today, we want to come back to Jesus' teaching on marriage in Mark chapter 10, the opening 12 verses. And we want to come to the fourth message, the final message on what Jesus had to say. Now, you may remember in the conversation with the disciples and uh, with the Pharisees who were trying to trap Jesus and alienate his followers that three questions arose. And those three questions Jesus explains by appealing to three different laws. The first question was, what about divorce? And Jesus explained Moses' law, and he said Moses in the Old Testament regulated divorce. The second question was, what about marriage? 
And Jesus explained creation law, and he said God is the one who planned marriage. Now today we come to this final question. The last question is, what about divorce and remarriage? And Jesus here appeals to his own law as the creator, as the God-man, as the one who planned marriage in the very beginning. And Jesus says that he restricted divorce and remarriage. And so this morning we want to look at Jesus' teaching in the latter part of verses 10, 11, and 12, and see Jesus' teaching and then what the Bible has to say about how he restricted divorce and remarriage. Now, once again, it's very important for me to say today that God is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness. And as we come to the final part of this uh, teaching from our Lord, I know that for many of us present today, it uncovers some very, very painful wounds. And what I want to say to all of us, which I have said before, and I hope that you hear very clearly, is that God cares for you, and God is able to help you in your current circumstances. There are multitudes of children who have overcome very difficult backgrounds, because they have had Jesus' help in their lives and in their family. And it is still true that one plus God is a majority. And you might be that one in your situation who is raising your children alone, and you need to hear these words that one plus God is a majority. And while God's perfect will is always what is best, There is enormous hope for those of us who are in situations that are less than ideal, but God is present in our lives. Remember in the Old Testament, God says that I will be a husband to the widow and I will be a fatherless to the, a father to the orphan. And you might be similarly in those circumstances and that's what God says to you. I will be a husband to the widow. I will be a father to the orphan. And God loves you and cares for you. And he can minister to you and bless you in your circumstances. Let's take a moment, shall we, together and let's pray before we turn and look and see what Jesus has to say in our message today. Father, We come to you today and know that you understand all about us. You know the regrets that we may have. You know the hurt that we may carry. You know, Lord, the injustices that we have experienced and the wounds that others have perpetrated upon us. And we thank you that you are a God who is not simply far off, but you are a God who is very near to your people. And as we prayed earlier in the service, you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trials, that we might turn around and comfort others. And so while this may be a a challenging message for us to hear today, we thank you that in each and every circumstance, you are a good and loving 
and comforting God who takes us forward from where we are. And you have said, I have given you a plan and a hope for the future. And so encourage our hearts that you are that God who is all that we stand in need of. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our Bible, shall we, to Mark chapter 10 once again as we continue in our series, Living in the Shadow of the Cross. And I want you to notice that after Jesus' teaching to the Pharisees and the crowds, that in verses 10 and 11 and 12, he and the disciples retire to a a private place, a house. And notice what the Bible says. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, as we have seen, no-fault divorce was the rule of the day in Jesus' day. And the Pharisees were absolutely determined to keep it that way. And they based their view on a faulty interpretation of Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. But in the discussion that we read earlier in verses 1 to 9, Jesus went back to the creation law and he affirmed God's original intention for marriage from the beginning. It was one man and one woman in a permanent lifelong union that is indissoluble. So Jesus very clearly rejected the easy approach to divorce, and he affirmed the permanence of marriage. Now this very, very clearly shook the disciples, because in verse 10, when they were in private in the house, the disciples asked him about his teaching. It's interesting, in Matthew's account, in chapter 19 and verse 10, the disciples actually say this, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They had never heard anyone speak in such strong terms about the permanency of marriage. In fact, one Bible student has said about Jesus' words here, no one else in antiquity spoke of divorce in such strong terms. And I want you to notice that Jesus also equally spoke strongly about remarriage. He said in verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And verse 12, he said, If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery against her husband. And so Jesus' words are equally strong here. Whoever divorces and remarries is committing adultery with their new spouse. But the thing we need to see as we look at this is elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus does give permission for divorce and remarriage. Turn back with me to Matthew 19, and I want you to notice in Matthew's discussion, 
and verse 9, Jesus does give an exception. This is the second time there's an exception in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5.32. Jesus gives the same exception that he gives here. And so listen to what he says. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So there is an exception that we do not find in Mark nor in the parallel passage in the book of Luke. And so we have to ask this question, what gives here? How are we to harmonize these passages? As we think about this question, can a Christian divorce and remarry? What does Jesus teach us? And what does the rest of the Bible teach us? And what I learned in the Bible is that there are some exceptions that are taught in Scripture to what seems to be here no exception. And let's spend a little bit of time trying to understand this this morning because it is so important for our marriages and our families. First of all, we need to understand that in Jesus' exception, he is saying to us that divorce and remarriage are permitted where there is persistent adultery. If we ask the question, why does Jesus give no exceptions in Mark and later in Luke, but he does give this exception in Matthew, What we would discover is this, the saying in Mark is like a wisdom saying. It is giving us a general principle without stating the exceptions. Now you know as you go to a place like the book of Proverbs and you study the Proverbs, you know that these are general principles, they are wisdom sayings, but they are not always promises that are given to us without exception. Uh, let me give you an example. All of us know uh, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me ask you, is this a promise without exceptions, or is it a general truth? Raise your kids in the right way, and they won't turn from it. Well, I think we all understand this is a general truth. Uh, there's a religious denomination that says this, give us a child until that child is seven, and we will have that child for the rest of its life. And generally, that is true. But are there exceptions? Well, of course there are. We all know children who have been raised in the way that they should go, and they have departed from it. In fact, we know children in the same family, raised by the same parents, raised with the same love and consideration and direction, and one child follows the Lord, and another child does not. So what we understand is this. When a child reaches the age of adulthood, there is free choice. 
and that while this is generally true, uh, it is not a guarantee. Uh, what the Solomon is doing here in Proverbs is he is telling us, encouraging us, that wise parenting can make a difference, though it is not a guarantee as to what our kids will do when they are adults. Now that's what we have here. In Mark's passage, Jesus is giving us a general rule, assuming that elsewhere, adultery is the exception. In fact, do you know, in Jesus' day, Jewish law mandated divorce for adultery. In the Old Testament, the penalty for adultery was death. But by the first century, under Roman occupation, the Jews no longer had the right of the death penalty. So, what occurred was divorce replaced death for adultery. And Jewish law mandated that a man was required to divorce his wife if adultery occurred. There was a pastor many years ago by the name of John Stott who pastored in London, England. And he had a very wonderful ministry. His explanation of what's going on here in Mark compared to Matthew is very helpful. Let me read it for you. It seems far more likely that the exception's absence from Mark and Luke is due not to their ignorance of it, but to their acceptance of it as something taken for granted. After all, under Mosaic law, adultery was punishable by death, so nobody would have questioned that marital unfaithfulness was a just ground for divorce. But I want you to notice something. Jesus allowed divorce... He did not mandate it. In fact, the Bible never commands divorce. And when adultery does happen, there is a second option. When adultery occurs in a marriage, one should determine the attitude that is expressed by the adulterous partner. If there is sorrow repentance, a willingness to forsake, then there should be forgiveness and there should be restoration. I can tell you today of many prodigal spouses who have been reclaimed and marriages and entire families that have been saved because an adulterous spouse has been forgiven given. Do you know, too, the most influential people in my life overcame adultery? And they have a very happy marriage to this very day. In fact, if you were to ask me, Pastor Brian, put on a list the top 10 people in your life over your entire life who have influenced you, this couple would be on that list. Their children and their grandchildren, as far as I know, may not even have any idea as to what happened, but I can tell you this today. Their children and their grandchildren are very, very happy that their family is still together. And so while divorce and remarriage are permitted when there is adultery, If the attitude is one of repentance and sorrow, 
wanting to make right, the second option is usually the better option. The option of forgiveness and reconciliation. But where there is adultery and it's unrepentant and continuous, then Jesus' words are clear. Divorce and remarriage are permitted. Let's look at a second exception in the Bible. Secondly, the Bible teaches us that there's a second time in which divorce and remarriage are permitted. And that is where a non-believer divorces a believer. Now, I want you to turn with me this time to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want you to notice a very important verse in verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and notice the Apostle Paul is now expanding on the teaching of Jesus. And notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Some translations read, is not bound. For God has called you to peace. Now we need to understand the context here. In 1 Corinthians 7, in this point, the Apostle Paul is dealing with two non-believers who had been married as non-believers. And then subsequently, one becomes a Christian, but the other remains a non-Christian. The unbeliever is not pleased with the new faith of their spouse, and Jesus now has begun to make changes in the life of the Christian, And the non-Christian is not happy with those changes and the new allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says this non-believer in verse 15 separates. Do you know what that is? That was a technical word in the first century for divorce. The word separate means they divorce their now Christian spouse. There are several things that we need to look at here, all right? Number one, the believer should not initiate divorce from a non-believing spouse unless persistent adultery occurs. Look back at verse 12, and notice what Paul says. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, what he means here is the Lord did not speak to the subject of mixed marriages. Jesus did not talk about a a non-believer who ends up being married to a believer. So Paul now speaks to that issue, and notice what he says. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And so we notice here that the believer should not initiate the divorce unless there has been persistent adultery. Notice the second thing. If the unbeliever determines to divorce, Paul says, and God says in verse 15, don't fight it. He says, God has called us to peace. So in other words, don't fight their determination to divorce. And finally, notice the third point. The marriage bond in this case is broken, and the believer is free to remarry, 
He says the brother or sister, verse 15, is not enslaved. Do you know the word enslaved here means to be bound in marriage? It is in an interesting tense in the original Greek language. It is in the perfect tense, which is referring to a condition. So the Christian brother or sister is not bound in a condition as a slave to this marriage. Well, what does that mean? It means they are free from the marriage. And it means they are free to remarry. That's what the Lord is instructing. As I think about this, I think about a Christian woman that I knew whose unsaved husband left her. And it was amazing to her how friends in her church almost immediately came to her and said, divorce him. They said to her, he left you, so you divorce him. And this is what she said. She said, when I gave my marriage vows, I meant them. She said, if there's going to be a divorce in this family, it's going to be up to him. I'm not going to end our marriage. You know what happened? Over a period of months, he began to realize how much he missed his wife and family. Eventually, they got together, talked about their problems. They reconciled. And they are a happily married couple to this day. And she was so grateful that she did not listen to her friends, even in the church, who told her to divorce him. By the way, would you like to know why he said he left her? He said he left her because he no longer loved her. He said her feelings for her were gone. I shared that with a pastor friend of mine. You know what he said? He said everyone who gets an unlawful divorce says they no longer love their spouse. It's always the excuse that they give. But that pastor said there's no question that he loved her because she never would have married him in the first place had he not loved her. You know what the truth was? The truth was they were in a stressful time in their marriage. They were not getting along. There was conflict. There was frustration. And he became unhappy, and he decided that he didn't love his wife because of his own unhappiness. But over several months of separation, he began to realize how much he missed his wife, how much he missed his family. They got back together, and to this day, they are very happily married. And guess what happened to his feelings? They returned. Let's just pause here and say something that I think we all need to hear. Marriage is not based on feelings. It is based on commitment. And the vows that we say before the Lord and before the witnesses 
are not based on feelings. They are based on commitment. We all know that feelings in a marriage go up and down. Up and down. There are some days when you look at each other and you say, I wonder why we ever did this. By the way, isn't that the truth with children as well? Feelings with children go up and down, don't they? But that doesn't determine our love for our children and our commitment to them. And commitment is what makes a marriage endure through tough times. And if we will hang on in tough times, work on our problems, cultivate our relationships, feelings can return. But here's what the Bible is saying. If an unbeliever is determined to divorce that believer, then remarriage is permitted on the part of that believing spouse. Let's look at a third reason, number three. Divorce and remarriage are permitted for those divorced before salvation. I want you to look at this verse again. But if the unbelieving partner separates and it means the divorce, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. I want you to follow this with me for a moment. If the Bible allows remarriage when an unbelieving spouse divorces, then this principle is extended. Remarriage would be allowed for a person who has recently come to Christ. Now, reconciliation should always be the goal. But if a former spouse will not reconcile, or they have remarried, then the same permission applies. The believing spouse is not bound to that unbelieving spouse. And so by extension, principle number two leads to the exception of number three. One day a divorced woman who was a a new Christian, only known the Lord for a few short years, came to see me in my office. She had divorced her husband formerly before she became a believer, and they were now living separately. The husband had not come to know the Lord in the intervening time as she had. And she wanted to know, Pastor, can I marry a new husband? And so as we talked together, I asked her, Was adultery the reason why you divorced your husband? And she said, honestly, no, it was not. And I said to her, as I look at your situation and I look at what the Bible says, I'm sorry, 
but I see no grounds for you to remarry. I said, in God's eyes, you are still married to your former husband. You know what she said to me? Very peacefully, she said to me, I thought that's what you were going to say. She already knew the answer in her heart even before she came into my office. And so she thanked me for pointing her to Scripture. And she left feeling that she knew what God wanted her to do. Now as we think about this this morning, and as I look at the Bible, these are the three exceptions as to when a Christian can divorce and remarry. What conclusions can we draw as we think about all that Jesus has been teaching us? And let me draw a few conclusions, and then I want to give a word of encouragement as we close our service this morning. You may want to jot these conclusions down. Perhaps they will be helpful to you in your own life. Here's the first one. Our marriage vows are sacred and enduring. So Jesus restricts divorce and remarriage. That is very clear. Jesus is telling us that our marriage vows are sacred. They are enduring. And therefore he, as Almighty God, restricts divorce, and remarriage. Here's a second conclusion. As we said in our first message, sometimes separation or divorce is necessary for our physical and emotional well-being. You may remember we gave three reasons why a person may need, under necessity, to be divorced. Adultery, abandonment, or abuse. And sometimes divorce may be necessary for a person's physical or emotional well-being. I knew a woman who was married to a drug addict. And that drug addiction made that situation intolerable. And therefore, for her to find well-being and protection was almost of a necessity that she be divorced from that drug-addicted man. And sometimes that is necessary. And not in every situation is remarriage acceptable. Sometimes divorce is. Sometimes a greater good, the well-being and care of a person, is higher than God's desire to prohibit divorce. And in very difficult circumstances, those situations need to be evaluated. Finally, number three, perhaps we are here today and we might say, Pastor, I've divorced and remarried out of God's will. I know what I did was not following the Bible. What do you say to me? And this is what I say. If we are divorced and remarried out of God's will, 
God still loves us. His grace covers whatever wrong we have done. He forgives us. We cannot change the past. And His desire is that we go forward in the current marriage we are in and make that the best marriage we can possibly make it under His blessing. We do not need to live with the guilt of the past. We can live with a sense of forgiveness and freedom and do the very best we can now to make the marriage we are in God's marriage. Some of you know that one of my favorite pastors was a man by the name of Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones. He pastored the great Westminster Chapel in London, England. And on one occasion, Pastor Lloyd-Jones made this wonderful statement. He said, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. When he was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and he came to Jesus' teaching on divorce, he had something equally helpful to say. And I want to share with you what he said. Have you nothing to say about others, asked someone. All I would say, said Pastor Lloyd-Jones, about them is this. And I say it carefully and advisedly, and almost in fear, lest I give even a semblance of a suggestion that I am saying anything that may encourage anyone to sin. But on the basis of the gospel and in the interest of truth, I am compelled to say this. Even adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It is a terrible sin, but God forbid that, should, that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside the love of God or outside his kingdom because of adultery. No. If you truly repent and realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven. And I assure you of pardon. I hear the words of our blessed Lord. Go and sin no more. And that's what you should do today. Accept God's love, mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Let Him have the regrets of the past. Hear His word that says to you, Go now and sin no more. Make your marriage that you are currently in the best that you can make it with the blessing of God upon your life. Let's thank the Lord for that, shall we? Please bow together with me. Father, we live in such a broken world. And we have experienced brokenness oftentimes 
not due to our own fault, but the fault of others. And sometimes, Father, we have to admit that the fault is ours. And the brokenness is because of our actions. But we thank you as we just came through Good Friday and Easter Sunday that you came for imperfect people. And while your standards are what is best for our marriages and our children and our communities, that you are a God who calls not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen the marriages of Bethel Baptist Church. I pray that you would protect us from the evil one. I pray that our children would see parents who love each other, who work through every problem, who trust the God who can do the impossible and maintain their marriage vows for the blessing of all affected. I pray, Lord, for those who may be struggling even now, perhaps not even knowing where to turn. May we be a church who offers help, who seeks to be the body of Christ to those who are struggling. And I pray, Lord, for those who are in second marriages, maybe even third marriages, that they might feel today that you are the God who removes the past and brings blessing to the present and can take them forward. I pray, Lord, for single parents. May we not be unmindful of them. May we pray for them. May we look for ways to stand beside them and encourage their children. Lord, may we recognize that many people come to church looking for family life because they have not experienced it. And know that the body of Christ is a family that is your solution to hurting and struggling people. And so together, may we go forward to find your strength, your healing, and your goodness. And I thank you, Father, for the many, many people that you have used in my own life 
some of whom have failed in this area, and yet to this day would be on the top ten list of the people that have influenced my life. And we are so grateful that you do that in the lives of those who love you and follow you. Thank you for meeting with us today. May we have that great balance of truth and grace that gives us hope as we follow in the way of Jesus. For his name we pray.